0: were the days. Thank you for joining me for the fourth installment of Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. If you're reading along, today's episode encompasses chapters 11 through 13. Do you have your tea? Today I have mango and ginger. Great, let's jump back in. Chapter 11. Sometimes, while meditating on these things in solitude, I've got up in a sudden terror and put on my bonnet to go and see how all was at the farm. I've persuaded my conscience that it was a duty to warn him how people talked regarding his ways, and then I've recollected his confirmed bad habits and, hopeless of benefiting him, have flinched from re-entering the dismal house, doubting if I could bear to be taken at my word. One time I passed the old gate, going out of my way, on a journey to Gimmerton. It was about the period that my narrative has reached, a bright, frosty afternoon, the ground bare and the road hard and dry. I came to a stone where the highway branches off onto the moor at your left hand, a rough sand pillar with the letters WH cut on its north side, on the east, G, and on the southwest, TG. It serves as guidepost to the Grange, and Heights, and Village. The sun shone yellow on its gray head, reminding me of summer, and I cannot say why, but all at once a gush of child sensation flowed into my heart. Hindley and I held it at a favorite spot twenty years before. I gazed long at the weather-worn block, and, stooping down, perceived a hole near the bottom still full of snail shells and pebbles, which we were very fond of storing there with more perishable things, And, as fresh as reality, it appeared that I beheld my early playmate seated on the withered turf, his dark, square head bent forward, and his little hand scooping out the earth with a piece of slate. "'Poor Hindley!' I exclaimed involuntarily. I started. My bodily eye was cheated into a momentary belief that the child lifted its face and stared straight into mine. It vanished in a twinkling, but immediately I felt an irresistible yearning to be at the heights. Superstition urged me to comply with this impulse, supposing he should be dead, I thought, or should die soon supposing it were a sign of death the nearer i got to the house the more agitated i grew and on catching sight of it i trembled every limb the apparition had outstripped me it stood looking through the gate that was my first idea on observing an elf-locked brown-eyed boy setting his ruddy countenance against the bars further reflection suggested this must be hareton my hareton not altered greatly since i left him ten months since god bless thee darling i cried forgetting instantaneously my foolish fears hareton it's nelly nelly thy nurse He retreated out of arm's length and picked up a large flint. "'I am come to see thy father, Hareton, I added, guessing from the action that Nellie, if she lived in his memory at all, was not recognized as one with me. He raised his missile to hurl it. I commenced a soothing speech, but could not stay his hand. The stone struck my bonnet, and then ensued from the stammering lips of the little fellow a string of curses which, whether he comprehended them or not, were delivered with practiced emphasis, and distorted his baby features into a shocking expression of malignity. You may be certain this grieved more than angered me.' Fit to cry, I took an orange from my pocket and offered it to propitiate him. He hesitated, and then snatched it from my hold, as if he fancied I only intended to tempt and disappoint him. I showed another, keeping it out of his reach. "'Who has taught you those fine words, my barn?' I inquired. "'The curate.' "'Damn the curate and thee. Give me that,' he replied. "'Tell us where you got your lessons, and you shall have it,' said I. "'Who's your master?' "'Devil Daddy,' was his answer. "'And what do you learn from Daddy?' I continued. He jumped at the fruit. I raised it higher. "'What does he teach you?' I asked.' "'Not,' said he, "'but to keep out of his gate. "'Daddy cannot bide me, because I swear at him.' "'Ah, and the devil teaches you to swear at Daddy,' I observed. "'Aye, nay,' he drawled. "'Who, then?' "'Heathcliff.' "'I asked if he liked Mr. Heathcliff.' "'Aye,' he answered again. "'Desiring to have his reasons for liking him, "'I could only gather the sentences. "'I know it. "'He pays Dad back what he gives to me. "'He curses Daddy for cursing me. "'He says I'm do as I will. "'And the curate does not teach you to read and write, then,' I pursued.' "'No, I was told the curate should have his teeth dashed down his throat "'if he stepped over the threshold. "'Heathcliff had promised that. "'I put the orange in his hand and bade him tell his father "'that a woman called Nellie Dean was waiting to speak with him by the garden gate. "'He went up the walk and entered the house, "'but instead of Hindley, Heathcliff appeared on the doorstones, "'and I turned directly and ran down the road as hard as ever I could race, "'making no halt till I gained the guidepost "'and feeling as scared as if I had raised a goblin. "'This is not much connected with Miss Isabella's affair,' Except that it urged me to resolve further on mounting vigilant guard and doing my utmost to check the spread of such bad influence at the Grange, even though I should wake a domestic storm by thwarting Mrs. Linton's pleasure. The next time Heathcliff came, the young lady chanced to be feeding some pigeons in the court. She had never spoken a word to her sister in law for three days, but she had likewise dropped her fretful complaining, and we found it a great comfort. Heathcliff had not the habit of bestowing a single unnecessary civility on Miss Linton, I knew. Now, as soon as he beheld her, "'His first precaution was to take a sweeping survey of the house-front. "'I was standing by the kitchen window, but I drew out of sight. "'He then stepped across the pavement to her and said something. "'She seemed embarrassed and desirous of getting away. "'To prevent it, he laid his hand on her arm. "'She averted her face. "'He apparently put some question which she had no mind to answer. "'There was another rapid glance at the house, "'and supposing himself unseen, the scoundrel had the impudence to embrace her. "'Judas, traitor!' I ejaculated. "'You are a hypocrite, too, are you? A deliberate deceiver.' "'Who is, Nellie?' said Catherine's voice at my elbow. I had been over-intent on watching the pair outside to mark her entrance. "'Your worthless friend,' I answered warmly, the sneaking, rascal yonder. "'Ah, he has caught a glimpse of us. He is coming in. I wonder will he have the art to find a plausible excuse for making love to Miss when he told you he hated her?' Mrs. Linton saw Isabella tear herself free and run into the garden, and a minute after Heathcliff opened the door. I couldn't withhold giving some loose to my indignation, but Catherine angrily insisted on silence, and threatened to order me out of the kitchen if I dared to be so presumptuous as to put in my insolent tongue.' "'To hear you, people might think you were the mistress,' she cried. "'You want setting down in your right place. "'Heathcliff, what are you about, raising the stir? "'I said you must let Isabella alone. "'I beg you will, unless you are tired of being received here "'and wish Linton to draw the bolts against you.' "'God forbid that he should try,' answered the black villain. "'I detested him just then. "'God keep him meek and patient. "'Every day I grow madder after sending him to heaven.' "'Hush,' said Catherine, shutting the inner door. "'Don't vex me. "'Why have you disregarded my request? "'Did she come across you on purpose?' What is it to you he growled i have a right to kiss her if she chooses and you have no right to object i'm not your husband you needn't be jealous of me i'm not jealous of you replied the mistress i'm jealous for you clear your face you shan't scowl at me if you like isabella you should marry her but do you like her tell the truth heathcliff there you won't answer i'm certain you don't and would mr linton approve of his sister marrying that man i inquired mr linton should approve returned my lady decisively He might spare himself the trouble, said Heathcliff. I could do as well without his approbation. And as to you, Catherine, I have a mind to speak a few words now while we are at it. I want you to be aware that I know you have treated me infernally. Infernally, do you hear? And if you flatter yourself that I don't perceive it, you are a fool. And if you think I can be consoled by sweet words, you are an idiot. And if you fancy I'll suffer unrevenged, I'll convince you of the contrary in a very little while. Meantime, thank you for telling me your sister-in-law's secret. I swear I'll make the most of it. And stand you aside. "'What new phase of his character is this?' exclaimed Mrs. Linton in amazement. "'I've treated you infernally, and you'll take revenge. "'How will you take it, ungrateful brute? "'How have I treated you infernally?' "'I seek no revenge on you,' replied Heathcliff less vehemently. "'That's not the plan. "'The tyrant grinds down his slaves, and they don't turn against him. "'They crush those beneath them. "'You are welcome to torture me to death for your amusement. "'Only allow me to amuse myself a little in the same style, "'and refrain from insult as much as you are able.' Having leveled my palace, don't erect a hovel and complacently admire your own charity in giving me that for a home. If I imagined you really wished me to marry Isabella, I'd cut my throat. Oh, the evil is that I am not jealous, is it? Cried Catherine. Well, I won't repeat my offer of a wife. It is as bad as offering Satan a lost soul. Your bliss lies, like his, in inflicting misery. You prove it. Edgar is restored from the ill temper he gave away to at your coming. I begin to be secure and tranquil, and you, restless to know us at peace, appear resolved on exciting a quarrel. Quarrel with Edgar, if you please, Heathcliff, and deceive his sister. You'll hit on exactly the most efficient method of revenging yourself on me. The conversation ceased. Mrs. Linton sat down by the fire, flushed and gloomy. The spirit which served her was growing intractable. She could neither lay nor control it. He stood on the hearth with folded arms, brooding on his evil thoughts, and in this position I left them to seek the master, who was wondering what kept Catherine below so long. Ellen, said he when I entered, have you seen your mistress? Yes, she's in the kitchen, sir, I answered, She's sadly put out by Mr. Heathcliff's behavior, and indeed I do think it's time to arrange his visits on another footing. There's harm in being too soft, and now it's come to this. And I related the scene in the court, and, as near as I dared, the whole subsequent dispute. I fancied it could not be very prejudicial to Mrs. Linton, unless she made it so afterwards, by assuming the defensive for her guest. Edgar Linton had difficulty in hearing me to the close. His first words revealed that he did not clear his wife of blame. This is insufferable, he exclaimed. It is disgraceful that she should own him for a friend and force his company on me. Call me two men out of the hall, Ellen. Catherine shall linger no longer to argue with the low ruffian. I have humored her enough. He descended, and bidding the servants wait in the passage, went, followed by me, to the kitchen. Its occupants had recommenced their angry discussion. Mrs. Linton, at least, was scolding with renewed vigor. Heathcliff had moved to the window and hung his head, somewhat cowed by her violent rating, apparently. He saw the master first, and made a hasty motion that she should be silent, which she obeyed, abruptly, on discovering the reason of his intimation. How is this? said Linton, addressing her. What notion of propriety must you have to remain here, after the language which has been held to you by that blackguard? I suppose, because it is his ordinary talk, you think nothing of it. You are habituated to his baseness, and perhaps, imagine I can get used to it, too. Have you been listening at the door, Edgar? asked the mistress, in a tone particularly calculated to provoke her husband, implying both carelessness and contempt of his irritation. Heathcliff, who had raised his eyes at the former speech, gave a sneering laugh on the latter. On purpose, it seemed, to draw Mr. Linton's attention to him. He succeeded, but Edgar did not mean to entertain him with any high flights of passion. "'I have been so far forbearing with you, sir,' he said quietly, "'not that I was ignorant of your miserable, degraded character, "'but I felt you were only partly responsible for that. "'And Catherine wishing to keep up your acquaintance, I acquiesced, foolishly. "'Your presence is a moral poison that would contaminate the most virtuous. "'For that cause, and to prevent worse consequences, "'I shall deny you hereafter admission into this house, "'and give notice now that I require your instant departure.' Three minutes' delay will render it involuntary and ignominious. Heathcliff measured the height and breadth of the speaker with an eye full of derision. "Cathy, this lamb of yours threatens like a bull, he said. It is in danger of splitting its skull against my knuckles. By God, Mr. Linton, I am mortally sorry that you are not worth knocking down. My master glanced towards the passage and signed me to fetch the men. He had no intention of hazarding a personal encounter. I obeyed the hint, but Mrs. Linton, suspecting something, followed, and when I attempted to call them, she pulled me back, slammed the door to, you, and locked it fair means she said in answer to her husband's look of angry surprise if you have not the courage to attack him make an apology or allow yourself to be beaten it will correct you of feigning more valor than you possess no i'll swallow the key before you shall get it i'm delightfully rewarded for my kindness to each after constant indulgence of one's weak nature and the other's bad one i earn for thanks two samples of blind ingratitude stupid to absurdity edgar i was defending you and yours and i wish heathcliff may flog you sick for daring to think an evil thought of me It did not need the medium of a flogging to produce that effect on the master. He tried to wrest the key from Catherine's grasp, and for safety she flung it into the hottest part of the fire, whereupon Mr. Edgar was taken with a nervous trembling, and his countenance grew deadly pale. For his life he could not avert that access of emotion. Mingled anguish and humiliation overcame him completely. He leant on the back of a chair and covered his face. "'Oh, heavens! In old days this would win you knighthood!' exclaimed Mrs. Linton. "'We are vanquished! We are vanquished!' "'Heathcliff would as soon lift a finger at you "'as the king would march his army against a colony of mice. "'Cheer up, you shan't be hurt. "'Your type is not a lamb, it's a sucking leveret.' "'I wish you joy of the milk-blooded coward, Cathy,' said her friend. "'I compliment you on your taste, "'and that is the slavering, shivering thing you preferred to me. "'I would not strike him with my fist, "'but I'd kick him with my foot and experience considerable satisfaction. "'Is he weeping, or is he going to faint for fear?' "'The fellow approached and gave the chair on which Linton rested a push. "'He'd better have kept his distance.' My master quickly sprang erect and struck him full on the throat a blow that would have leveled a slighter man. It took his breath for a minute, and, while he choked, Mr. Linton walked out by the back door into the yard and from thence to the front entrance. "'There! You've done with coming here!' cried Catherine. "'Get away now. He'll return with a brace of pistols and half a dozen assistants. If he did overhear us, of course, he'd never forgive you.' "'You've played me an ill turn, Heathcliff. But go, make haste. I'd rather see Edgar at bay than you.' "'Do you suppose I'm going with that blow burning in my gullet?' he thundered. "'By hell no!' i'll crush his ribs in like a rotten hazelnut before i cross the threshold if i don't floor him now i shall murder him some time so as you value his existence let me get at him he is not coming i interposed framing a bit of a lie there's the coachman and the two gardeners you'll surely not wait to be thrust into the road by them each has a bludgeon and master will very likely be watching from the parlor windows to see that they fulfill his orders the gardeners and coachman were there but linton was with them they had already entered the court Heathcliff, on second thoughts, resolved to avoid a struggle against three underlings. He seized the poker, smashed the lock from the inner door, and made his escape as they tramped in. Mrs. Linton, who was very much excited, bid me accompany her upstairs. She did not know my share in contributing to the disturbance, and I was anxious to keep her in ignorance. "'I'm nearly distracted, Nellie,' she exclaimed, throwing herself on the sofa. "'A thousand Smith's hammers are beating in my head. Tell Isabella to shun me. This uproar is owing to her. And should she or anyone else aggravate my anger at present, I shall get wild.' And, Nellie, say to Edgar, if you see him again tonight, that I am in danger of being seriously ill. I wish it may prove true. He has startled and distressed me shockingly. I want to frighten him. Besides, he might come and begin a string of abuse or complaining. I am certain I should recriminate, and God knows where we should end. Will you do so, my good Nellie? You are aware that I am no way blamable in this matter. What possessed him to turn listener? Heathcliff's talk was outrageous after you left us, but I could soon have diverted him from Isabella, and the rest meant nothing.' Now, all is dashed wrong by the fool's craving to hear evil of self that haunts some people like a demon. Had Edgar never gathered our conversation, he would never have been the worse for it. Really, when he opened on me in that unreasonable tone of displeasure, after i had scolded Heathcliff till I was hoarse for him, I did not care hardly what they did to each other, especially as I felt that, however the scene closed, we should all be driven asunder for nobody knows how long. Well, if I cannot keep Heathcliff for my friend, if Edgar will be mean and jealous, I'll try to break their hearts by breaking my own. That will be a prompt way of finishing all when I am pushed to extremity, but it's a deed to be reserved for a forlorn hope. I'd not take Linton by surprise with it. To this point he has been discreet and dreading to provoke me. You must represent the peril of quitting that policy, and remind him of my passionate temper, verging when kindled on frenzy. I wish you could dismiss that apathy out of your countenance, and look rather more anxious about me. The stolidity with which I received these instructions was, no doubt, rather exasperating, for they were delivered in perfect sincerity— But I believed a person who could plan the turning of her fits of passion to account beforehand might, by exerting her will, manage to control herself tolerably, even while under their influence. And I did not wish to frighten her husband, as she said, and multiply his annoyances for the purpose of serving her selfishness. Therefore I said nothing when I met the master coming towards the parlor, but I took the liberty of turning back to listen whether they would resume their quarrel together. He began to speak first. Remain where you are, Catherine, he said, without any anger in his voice, but with much sorrowful despondency. I shall not stay. "'I am neither come to wrangle nor be reconciled, "'but I wish just to learn whether, after this evening's events, "'you intend to continue your intimacy with—' "'Oh, for mercy's sake!' interrupted the mistress, stamping her foot. "'For mercy's sake, let us hear no more of it now. "'Your cold blood cannot be worked into a fever. "'Your veins are full of ice water, but mine are boiling, "'and the sight of such chillness makes them dance. "'To get rid of me, answer my question,' persevered Mr. Linton. "'You must answer it, and that violence does not alarm me. "'I found that you can be as stoical as anyone when you please.' Will you give up Heathcliff hereafter, or will you give up me? It is impossible for you to be my friend, and his, at the same time, and I absolutely require to know which you choose. I require to be let alone, exclaimed Catherine furiously. I demand it. Don't you see I can scarcely stand? Edgar, you, you leave me. She rung the bell till it broke with a twang. I entered leisurely. It was enough to try the temper of a saint, such senseless wicked rages. There she lay, dashing her head against the arm of the sofa, and grinding her teeth, so that you might fancy she would crash them to splinters mr linton stood looking at her in sudden compunction and fear he told me to fetch some water she had no breath for speaking i brought a glassful and as she would not drink i sprinkled it on her face in a few seconds she stretched herself out stiff and turned up her eyes while her cheeks at once blanched and livid assumed the aspect of death linton looked terrified there is nothing in the world the matter i whispered i did not want him to yield though i could not help being afraid in my heart she has blood on her lips he said shuddering never mind i answered tartly and I told him how she had resolved, previous to his coming, on exhibiting a fit of frenzy. I incautiously gave the account aloud, and she heard me, for she started up, her hair flying over her shoulders, her eyes flashing, the muscles of her neck and arms standing out preternaturally. I made up my mind for broken bones, at least, but she only glared about her for an instant and then rushed from the room. The master directed me to follow. I did, to her chamber door. She hindered me from going farther by securing it against me. As she never offered to descend for breakfast next morning, I went to ask whether she would have some carried up no she replied peremptorily the same question was repeated at dinner and tea and again on the morrow after and received the same answer mr linton on his part spent his time in the library and did not inquire concerning his wife's occupations isabella and he had an hour's interview during which he tried to elicit from her some sentiment of proper horror for heathcliff's advances but he could make nothing of her evasive replies and was obliged to close the examination unsatisfactorily adding, however, a solemn warning that if she were so insane as to encourage that worthless suitor, it would dissolve all bonds of relationship between herself and him. Chapter 12 While Miss Linton moped about the parking garden, always silent and almost always in tears, and her brother shut himself up among books that he never opened, wearying I guessed, with a continual vague expectation that Catherine, repenting her conduct, would come of her own accord to ask pardon and seek a reconciliation, and she fasted pertinaciously, under the idea probably— that at every meal Edgar was ready to choke for her absence, and pride alone held him from running to cast himself at her feet. I went about my household duties, convinced that the Grange had but one sensible soul in its walls, and that lodged in my body. I wasted no condolences on Miss, nor any expostulations on my mistress, nor did I pay attention to the sighs of my master, who yearned to hear his lady's name, since he might not hear her voice. I determined they should come about as they pleased for me, and though it was a tiresomely slow process, I began to rejoice at length in a faint dawn of its progress, as I thought at first. Mrs. Linton, on the third day, unbarred her door, and having finished the water in her pitcher and decanter, desired a renewed supply and a basin of gruel, for she believed she was dying. That I set down as a speech meant for Edgar's ears. I believed no such thing, so I kept it to myself, and brought her some tea and dry toast. She eat and drank eagerly, and sank back on her pillow again, clenching her hands and groaning. "'Oh, I will die!' she exclaimed, since no one cares anything about me. I wish I had not taken that. Then a good while after I heard her murmur, "'No, I'll not die. He'd be glad.' "'He does not love me at all. "'He would never miss me.' "'Did you want anything, ma'am?' "'I inquired, "'still preserving my external composure, "'in spite of her ghastly countenance "'and strange exaggerated manner. "'What is that apathetic being doing?' "'She demanded, "'pushing the thick entangled locks "'from her wasted face. "'Has he fallen into a lethargy, "'or is he dead?' "'Neither,' replied I, "'if you mean Mr. Linton. "'He's tolerably well, I think, "'though his studies occupy him "'rather more than they ought. "'He is continually among his books, "'since he has no other society. "'I should not have spoken so, "'if I had known her true condition.' "'but I could not get rid of the notion "'that she acted a part of her disorder. "'Among his books,' she cried, confounded, "'and I dying. "'I on the brink of the grave. "'My God, does he know how I'm altered?' "'continued she, staring at her reflection in a mirror "'hanging against the opposite wall. "'Is that Catherine Linton? "'He imagines me in a pet, in play, perhaps. "'Cannot you inform him that it is frightfully earnest? Nelly? if it be not too late, "'as soon as I learn how he feels, "'I'll choose between these two, "'either to starve at once— "'that would be no punishment unless he had a heart— "'or to recover and leave the country.' Are you speaking the truth about him now take care is he actually so utterly indifferent for my life why ma'am i answered the master has no idea of your being deranged and of course he does not fear that you will let yourself die of hunger you think not cannot you tell him i will she returned persuade him speak of your own mind say you are certain i will no you forget mrs linton i suggested that you have eaten some food with a relish this evening and tomorrow you will perceive its good effects if i were only sure it would kill him she interrupted i'd kill myself directly these three awful nights i've never closed my lids and oh i've been tormented i've been haunted nelly but i begin to fancy you don't like me how strange i thought though everybody hated and despised each other they could not avoid loving me and they have all turned to enemies in a few hours they have i'm positive the people here how dreary to meet death surrounded by their cold faces isabella terrified and repelled afraid to enter the room it would be so terrible to watch catherine go and edgar standing solemnly by to see it over "'then offering prayers of thanks to God "'for restoring peace to his house "'and going back to his books. "'What in the name of all that feels "'has he to do with books when I am dying?' "'She could not bear the notion "'which I had put into her head "'of Mr. Linton's philosophical resignation. "'Tossing about, she increased her feverish bewilderment to madness "'and tore the pillow with her teeth, "'then raising herself up all burning, "'desired that I would open the window. "'We were in the middle of winter, "'the wind blew strong from the northeast, "'and I objected. "'Both the expressions flitting over her face "'and the changes of her moods "'began to alarm me terribly.' and brought to my recollection her former illness and the doctor's injunction that she should not be crossed. A minute previously she was violent. Now, supported on one arm, and not noticing my refusal to obey her, she seemed to find childish diversion in pulling the feathers from the rents she had just made, and ranging them on the sheet according to their different species. Her mind had strayed to other associations. "'That's a turkey's, she murmured to herself. "'And this is a wild duck's. And this is a pigeon's. Ah, they put pigeon's feathers in the pillows. No wonder I couldn't die. Let me take care to throw it on the floor when I lie down.' And here is a moorcock's, and this, I should know it among a thousand, is a lapwings. bonny bird, wheeling over our heads in the middle of the moor. I wanted to get to its nest, for the clouds had touched the swells, and it felt rain coming. This feather was picked up from the heath. The bird was not shot. We saw its nest in the winter, full of little skeletons. Heathcliff's had a trap over it, and the old ones dare not come. I made him promise he'd never shoot a lapwing after that, and he didn't. Yes, here are more. Did he shoot my lapwings, Nellie? Are they red, any of them? Let me look. "'Give over with that baby-work,' I interrupted, dragging the pillow away and turning the holes towards the mattress, for she was removing its contents by handfuls. "'Lie down and shut your eyes. You're wandering. There's a mess. The down is flying about like snow. I went here and there, collecting it. "'I see in you, Nelly. she continued dreamily. "'An aged woman. You have gray hair and bent shoulders. This bed is the fairy cave under Penniston Crag, and you are gathering elf-bolts to herd our heifers, pretending, while I am near, that they are only locks of wool. That's what you'll come to fifty years hence.' i know you are not so now i'm not wandering you're mistaken or else i should believe you really were that withered hag and i should think i was under penistone crag and i'm conscious it's night and there are two candles on the table making the black press shine like jet the black press where is that i asked you are talking in your sleep it's against the wall as it always is she replied it does appear odd i see a face in it there is no press in the room and never was said i resuming my seat and looping up the curtain that i might watch her don't you see that face she inquired gazing earnestly at the mirror and say what i could i was incapable of making her comprehend it to be her own so i rose and covered it with a shawl it's behind there still she pursued anxiously and it stirred who is it i hope it will not come out when you are gone oh nelly the room is haunted i'm afraid of being alone i took her hand in mine and bid her be composed for succession of shutters convulsed her frame and she would keep straining her gaze towards the glass "'There's nobody here,' I insisted. "'It was yourself, Mrs. Linton. "'You knew it a while since.' "'Myself,' she gasped, "'and the clock is striking twelve. "'It's true, then. "'That's dreadful.' "'Her fingers clutched the clothes "'and gathered them over her eyes. "'I attempted to steal to the door "'with an intention of calling her husband, "'but I was summoned back by a piercing shriek. "'The shawl had dropped from the frame. "'Why, what is the matter?' cried I. "'Who is coward now? "'Wake up! "'That is the glass, the mirror, Mrs. Linton, "'and you see yourself in it, "'and there am I, too, by your side.' "'Trembling and bewildered, she held me fast, "'but the horror gradually passed from her countenance. "'Its paleness gave place to a glow of shame. "'Oh, dear, I thought I was at home,' she sighed. "'I thought I was lying in my chamber at Wuthering Heights. "'Because I'm weak, my brain got confused, "'and I screamed unconsciously. "'Don't say anything, but stay with me. "'I dread sleeping. "'My dreams appall me.' "'A sound sleep would do you good, ma'am,' I answered, "'and I hope this suffering will prevent "'your trying starving again.' "'Oh, if I were but in my own bed in the old house,' "'she went on bitterly, wringing her hands.' "'and that wind sounding in the firs by the lattice. "'Do let me feel it. "'It comes straight down the moor. "'Do let me have one breath.' "'To pacify her, I held the casement ajar a few seconds. "'A cold blast rushed through. "'I closed it and returned to my post. "'She lay still now, her face bathed in tears. "'Exhaustion of her body had entirely subdued her spirit. "'Our fiery Catherine was no better than a wailing child. "'How long is it since I shut myself in here?' "'She asked, suddenly reviving. "'It was Monday evening,' I replied, "'and this is Thursday night, or rather Friday morning at present.' "'What, of the same week?' she exclaimed. "'Only that brief time.' "'Long enough to live on nothing but cold water and ill-temper,' observed I. "'Well, it seems a weary number of hours,' she muttered doubtfully. "'It must be more. "'I remember being in the parlor after they had quarreled, "'and Edgar being cruelly provoking, "'and me running into this room desperate. "'As soon as ever I had barred the door, "'utter blackness overwhelmed me, and I fell on the floor. "'I couldn't explain to Edgar how certain I felt of having a fit, "'or going raging mad, if he persisted in teasing me. "'I had no command of tongue or brain, "'and he did not guess my agony, perhaps.' It barely left me sense to try to escape from him and his voice. Before I recovered sufficiently to see and hear, it began to be dawn, and, Nellie, I'll tell you what I thought, and what has kept recurring and recurring till I feared for my reason. I thought as I lay there, with my head against that table leg, and my eyes dimly discerning the gray square of the window, that I was enclosed in the oak-paneled bed at home, and my heart ached with some great grief which, just waking, I could not recollect. I pondered, and worried myself to discover what it could be, and, most strangely, the whole last seven years of my life grew a blank. I did not recall that they had been at all. I was a child. My father was just buried, and my misery arose from the separation that Henley had ordered between me and Heathcliff. I was laid alone for the first time, and rousing from a dismal doze after a night of weeping, I lifted my hand to push the panels aside. It struck the tabletop. I swept it along the carpet, and then memory burst in. My late anguish was swallowed in a paroxysm of despair. I cannot say why I felt so wildly wretched, It must have been temporary derangement, for there is scarcely cause. But supposing at twelve years old I had been wretched from the heights, and every early association, and my all-in-all, as Heathcliff was at the time, and been converted at a stroke into Mrs. Linton, the lady of Thrushcross Grange, and the wife of a stranger, an exile, an outcast, thenceforth, from what had been my world. You may fancy a glimpse of the abyss where I groveled. Shake your head as you will, Nellie. You have helped to unsettle me. You should have spoken to Edgar, indeed you should, and compelled him to leave me quiet. Oh, I'm burning!' i wish i were out of doors i wish i were a girl again half savage and hardy and free and laughing at injuries not maddening under them why am i so changed why does my blood rush into a hell of tumult at a few words i'm sure i should be myself were i once among the heather on those hills open the window again wide fasten it open quick why don't you move because i won't give you your death of cold i answered you won't give me a chance of life you mean she said sullenly however i'm not helpless yet i'll open it myself And sliding from the bed before I could hinder her, she crossed the room, walking very uncertainly, threw it back, and bent out, careless of the frosty air that cut about her shoulders as keen as a knife. I entreated and finally attempted to force her to retire, but I soon found her delirious strength much surpassed mine. She was delirious, I became convinced, by her subsequent actions and ravings. There was no moon, and everything beneath lay in misty darkness. Not a light gleamed from any house far or near. All had been extinguished long ago, and those at Wuthering Heights were never visible. Still, she asserted, she caught their shining." "'Look!' she cried eagerly. "'That's my room with the candle in it, "'and the tree is swaying before it, "'and the other candle is in Joseph's garret. "'Joseph sits up late, doesn't he? "'He's waiting until I come home that he may lock the gate. "'Well, he'll wait a while yet. "'It's a rough journey, and a sad heart to travel it, "'and we must pass by Gimmerton Kirk to go that journey. "'We've braved its ghost often together, "'and dared each other to stand among the graves "'and ask them to come. "'But, Heathcliff, if I dare you now, will you venture? "'If you do, I'll keep you. "'I'll not lie there by myself. "'They may bury me twelve feet deep "'and throw the church down over me.' "'but I won't rest till you are with me. "'I never will.' "'She paused and resumed with a strange smile. "'He's considering. "'He'd rather I'd come to him. "'Find a way, then. "'Not through that kirkyard. "'You are slow. "'Be content. "'You always followed me.' "'Perceiving it vain to argue against her insanity, "'I was planning how I could reach something to wrap about her "'without quitting my hold of herself, "'for I could not trust her alone by the gaping lattice, "'when, to my consternation, "'I heard the rattle of the door-handle, "'and Mr. Linton entered. "'He had only then come from the library, "'and in passing through the lobby, "'had noticed our talking,' and been attracted by curiosity or fear to examine what it signified at that late hour oh sir i cried checking the exclamation risen to his lips at the sight which met him and the bleak atmosphere of the chamber my poor mistress is ill and she quite masters me i cannot manage her at all pray come and persuade her to go to bed forget your anger for she's hard to guide any way but her own catherine ill he said hastening to us shut the window ellen catherine why he was silent the haggardness of mrs linton's appearance smote him speechless and he could only glance from her to me in horrified astonishment. She has been fretting here, I continued, and eating scarcely anything, and never complaining. She would admit none of us till this evening, and so we couldn't inform you of her state, as we were not aware of it ourselves, but it is nothing. I felt I uttered my explanations awkwardly. The master frowned. It is nothing, is it, Ellen Dean? he said sternly. You shall account more clearly for keeping me ignorant of this. And he took his wife in his arms and looked at her with anguish. At first she gave him no glance of recognition. He was invisible to her abstracted gaze. The delirium was not fixed, however, having weaned her eyes from contemplating the outer darkness. By degrees she centered her attention on him, and discovered who it was that held her. "'Ah, you are come, are you, Edgar Linton?' she said with angry animation. "'You are one of those things that are ever found when least wanted. And when you are wanted, never. I suppose we shall have plenty of lamentations now. I see we shall. But they can't keep me from my narrow home out yonder, my resting place, where I'm bound before spring is over. There it is, not among the Linton's mind, under the chapel roof, but in the open air with a headstone, and you may please yourself whether you go to them or come to me. Catherine, what have you done? Commenced the master, am I nothing to you any more? Do you love that wretch Heath? Hush, cried Mrs. Linton, hush this moment. You mention that name and I end the matter instantly, by a spring from the window. What you touch at present you may have, but my soul will be on that hilltop before you lay hands on me again. I don't want you, Edgar, I'm past wanting you. Return to your books. I'm glad you possess a consolation, for all you had in me is gone." her mind wanders sir i interposed she has been talking nonsense the whole evening but let her have quiet and proper attendance and she'll rally hereafter we must be cautious how we vex her i desire no further advice from you answered mr linton you knew your mistress's nature and you encouraged me to harass her and not to give me one hint of how she has been these three days it was heartless months of sickness could not cause such a change i began to defend myself thinking it too bad to be blamed for another's wicked waywardness "'I knew Mrs. Linton's nature to be headstrong and domineering,' cried I, "'but I didn't know that you wished to foster her fierce temper. "'I didn't know that to humor her I should wink at Mr. Heathcliff. "'I perform the duty of a faithful servant in telling you, "'and I have got a faithful servant's wages. "'Well, it will teach me to be careful next time. "'Next time you may gather intelligence for yourself.' "'The next time you bring a tale to me, you shall quit my service, Ellen Dean,' he replied. "'You'd rather hear nothing about it, I suppose, then, Mr. Linton,' said I. "'Heathcliff has your permission to come according to Miss,' And to drop in at every opportunity your absence offers, on purpose to poison the mistress against you. Confused as Catherine was, her wits were alert to apply in our conversation. Ah, Nellie has played traitor! She exclaimed passionately. Nellie is my hidden enemy, you witch! So you do seek elf bolts to hurt us. Let me go, and I'll make her rue. I'll make her howl a recantation. A maniac's fury kindled under her brows. She struggled desperately to disengage herself from Linton's arms. I felt no inclination to tarry the event and, resolving to seek medical aid on my own responsibility, I quitted the chamber. In passing the garden to reach the road, at a place where a bridle hook is driven into the wall, I saw something white moving irregularly, evidently by another agent than the wind. Notwithstanding my hurry, I stayed to examine it, lest ever after I should have the conviction impressed on my imagination that it was a creature of the other world. My surprise and perplexity were great to discover, by touch more than vision, Miss Isabella Springer, Fanny, suspended to a handkerchief, and nearly at its last gasp, I quickly released the animal and lifted it into the garden. I had seen it following its mistress upstairs, when she went to bed, and wondered much how it could have got out there, and what mischievous person had treated it so. While untying the knot round the hook, it seemed to me that I repeatedly caught the beat of horse's feet galloping at some distance, but there were such a number of things to occupy my reflections that I hardly gave the circumstance a thought, though it was a strange sound in that place at two o'clock in the morning. Mr. Kenneth was fortunately just issuing from his house to see a patient in the village as I came up the street. And my account of Catherine Linton's malady induced him to accompany me back immediately. He was a plain rough man, and he made no scruple to speak his doubts of her surviving the second attack, unless she were more submissive to his directions than she had shown herself before. Nellie Dean, said he, I can't help fancy and there's an extra cause for this. What has there been to do at the Grange? We've odd reports up here. A stout, hardy lass like Catherine does not fall ill for a trifle, and that sort of people should not either. It's hard work bringing them through fevers and such things. How did it begin?' the master will inform you i answered but you were acquainted with the earnshaw's violent dispositions and mrs linton caps them all i may say this it commenced in a quarrel she was struck during a tempest of passion with a kind of fit that's her account at least for she flew off in the height of it and locked herself up afterwards she refused to eat and now she alternately raves and remains in a half dream knowing those about her but having her mind filled with all sorts of strange ideas and illusions mr linton will be sorry observed kenneth interrogatively "'Sorry, he'll break his heart should anything happen,' I replied. "'Don't alarm him more than necessary.' "'Well, I told him to beware,' said my companion, "'and he must bide the consequences of neglecting my warning. "'Hasn't he been thick with Mr. Heathcliff lately?' "'Heathcliff frequently visits at the Grange,' answered I, "'though more on the strength of the mistress having known him when a boy "'than because the master likes his company. "'At present he's discharged from the trouble of calling, owing to some presumptuous aspirations after Miss Linton which he manifested. "'I hardly think he'll be taken in again.' "'And does Miss Linton turn a cold shoulder on him?' was the doctor's next question. "'I'm not in her confidence,' returned I, reluctant to continue the subject. "'No, she's a sly one,' he remarked, shaking his head. "'She keeps her own counsel, but she's a real little fool. "'I have it from good authority that last night, and a pretty night it was, "'she and Heathcliff were walking in the plantation at the back of your house, "'above two hours, and he pressed her not to go in again, "'but just mount his horse and away with him. "'My informant said she could only put him off by pledging her word of honour "'to be prepared on their first meeting after that. "'When it was to be, he didn't hear.' "'But you urge Mr. Linton to look sharp. "'This news filled me with fresh fears. "'I outstripped Kenneth and ran most of the way back. "'The little dog was yelping in the garden yet. "'I spared a minute to open the gate for it, "'but instead of going to the house door, "'it coursed up and down, snuffing the grass, "'and would have escaped to the road "'had I not seized and conveyed it in with me. "'On ascending to Isabella's room, "'my suspicions were confirmed. "'It was empty. "'Had I been a few hours sooner, "'Mrs. Linton's illness might have arrested her rash step. "'But what could be done now? "'There was a bare possibility of overtaking them "'if I pursued instantly.' I could not pursue them, however, and I dare not rouse the family and fill the place with confusion, still less unfold the business to my master, absorbed as he was in his present calamity and having no heart to spare for a second grief. I saw nothing for it but to hold my tongue and suffer matters to take their course, and Kenneth being arrived, I went with a badly composed countenance to announce him. Catherine lay in a troubled sleep. Her husband had succeeded in soothing the access of frenzy. He now hung over her pillow, watching every shade and every change of her painfully expressive features. "'the doctor, on examining the case for himself, "'if we could only preserve around her perfect and constant tranquility. "'Spoke hopefully to him of its having a favorable termination. "'To me, he signified the threatening danger was not so much death "'as permanent alienation of intellect. "'I did not close my eyes that night, nor did Mr. Linton. "'Indeed, we never went to bed. "'And the servants were all up long before the usual hour, "'moving through the house with stealthy tread "'and exchanging whispers as they encountered each other in their vocations. "'Everyone was active, but Miss Isabella, "'and they began to remark how sound she slept.' her brother too asked if she had risen and seemed impatient for her presence and hurt that she showed so little anxiety for her sister-in-law i trembled lest he should send me to call her but i was spared the pain of being the first proclaimant of her flight one of the maids a thoughtless girl who had been on an early errand to gimmerton came panting upstairs open-mouthed and dashed into the chamber crying oh dear dear what mun we have next master master our young lady hold your noise cried i hastily enraged at her clamorous manner speak lower mary what is the matter said mr linton what ails your young lady she's gone she's gone young heathcliffs run off with her gasped the girl that is not true exclaimed linton rising in agitation it cannot be how has the idea entered your head ellen dean go and seek her it is incredible it cannot be as he spoke he took the servant to the door and then repeated his demand to know her reasons for such an assertion "'Why, I met on the road a lad that fetches milk here,' she stammered, "'and he asked whether we weren't in trouble at the Grange. "'I thought he meant for Mrs. Sickness, so I answered yes. "'Then says he, "'They's somebody gone after him, I guess.' "'I stared. "'He saw I knew not about it, "'and he told how a gentleman and lady had stopped "'to have a horse's shoe fastened at a blacksmith's shop two miles out of Gimmerton, not very long after midnight, "'and how the blacksmith's lass had got up to spy who they were. "'She knew them both directly, "'and she noticed the man, Heathcliff it was, "'she felt certain, nobody could mistake him.' Besides, put a sovereign in her father's hand for payment. The lady had a cloak about her face, but having desired a sup of water while she drank, it fell back, and she saw her very plain. Heathcliff held both bridles as they rode on, and they set their faces from the village, and went as fast as the rough roads would let them. The last said nothing to her father, but she told it all over Gimmerton this morning. I ran and peeped, for form's sake, into Isabel's room, confirming when I returned the servant's statement. Mr. Linton had resumed his seat by the bed. On my re-entrance he raised his eyes reading the meaning of my blank aspect and dropped them without giving an order or uttering a word are we to try any measures for overtaking and bringing her back i inquired how should we do she went of her own accord answered the master she had a right to go if she pleased trouble me no more about her hereafter she is only my sister in name not because i disown her but because she has disowned me and that was all he said on the subject he did not make a single inquiry further nor mention her in any way "'except directing me to send what property she had in the house "'to a fresh home wherever it was when I knew it.'" Chapter 13 For two months the fugitives remained absent. In those two months Mrs. Linton encountered and conquered the worst shock of what was denominated a brain fever. No mother could have nursed an only child more devotedly than Edgar tended her. Day and night he was watching, and patiently enduring all the annoyances that irritable nerves and a shaken reason could inflict. And though Kenneth remarked that what he saved from the grave would only recompense his care by forming the source of constant future anxiety— In fact, that his health and strength were being sacrificed to preserve a mere ruin of humanity, he knew no limits in gratitude and joy when Catherine's life was declared out of danger, and hour after hour he would sit beside her, tracing the gradual return to bodily health, and flattering his too sanguine hopes with the illusion that her mind would settle back to its right balance also, and she would soon be entirely her former self. The first time she left her chamber was at the commencement of the following March. Mr. Linton had put on her pillow, in the morning, a handful of golden crocuses. Her eye, Long stranger to any gleam of pleasure caught them in waking and shone delighted as she gathered them eagerly together. These are the earliest flowers at the heights, she exclaimed. They remind me of the soft thaw winds and warm sunshine and neatly melted snow. Edgar, is there not a south wind? And is not the snow almost gone? The snow is quite gone down here, darling, replied her husband, and I only see two white spots on the whole range of moors. The sky is blue, and the larks are singing, and the becks and brooks are all brimful. Last spring at this time, I was longing to have you under this roof now i wish you were a mile or two up those hills the air blows so sweetly i feel that it would cure you i shall never be there but once more said the invalid and then you'll love me and i shall remain forever next spring you'll long again to have me under this roof and you'll look back and think you were happy to-day linton lavished on her the kindest caresses and tried to cheer her by the fondest words but vaguely regarding the flowers she let her tears collect on her lashes and stream down her cheeks unheeding we knew she was really better and therefore decided that long confinement to a single place produced much of this despondency and it might be partially removed by a change of scene. The master told me to light a fire in the many weeks deserted parlor, and to set an easy chair in the sunshine by the window, and then he brought her down, and she sat a long while enjoying the genial heat, and, as we expected, revived by the objects around her, which, though familiar, were free from the dreary associations investing her hated sick chamber. By evening she seemed greatly exhausted, yet no arguments could persuade her to return to the apartment, and I had to arrange the parlor sofa for her bed, till another room could be prepared. To obviate the fatigue of mounting and descending the stairs, we fitted up this where you lie at present, on the same floor with the parlor, and she was soon strong enough to move from one to the other, leaning on Edgar's arm. Ah, uh, I thought myself, she might recover, so waited on as she was, and there was double cause to desire it, for on her existence depended that of another. We cherished the hope that in a little while Mr. Linton's heart would be gladdened and his lands secured from a stranger's gripe by the birth of an heir. I should mention that Isabella sent to her brother some six weeks from her departure a short note announcing her marriage with Heathcliff, It appeared dry and cold, but at the bottom was dotted in with pencil an obscure apology, and an entreaty for kind remembrance and reconciliation, if her proceeding had offended him, asserting that she could not help it then, and being done, she had now no power to repeal it. Linton did not reply to this, I believe, and in a fortnight more I got a long letter which I considered odd, coming from the pen of a bride just out of the honeymoon. I'll read it, for I keep it yet. Any relic of the dead is precious, if they were valued living." Dear Ellen, it begins, I came last night to Wuthering Heights, and heard, for the first time, that Catherine has been, and is yet, very ill. I must not write to her, I suppose, and my brother is either too angry or too distressed to answer what I sent him. Still, I must write to somebody, and the only choice left me is you. Inform Edgar that I'd give the world to see his face again, that my heart returned to Thrushcross Grange in twenty-four hours after I left it, and is there at this moment, full of warm feelings for him and Catherine. I can't follow it, though. Those words are underlined." They need not expect me, and they may draw what conclusions they please, taking care, however, to lay nothing at the door of my weak will or deficient affection. The remainder of the letter is for yourself alone. I want to ask you two questions. The first is, how did you contrive to preserve the common sympathies of human nature when you resided here? I cannot recognize any sentiment which those around share with me. The second question I have great interest in, it is this, is Mr. Heathcliff a man? If so, is he mad? And if not, is he a devil? I shan't tell my reasons for making this inquiry, but I beseech you to explain, if you can, what I have married. That is, when you call to see me, and you must call Ellen very soon, don't write, but come, and bring me something from Edgar. Now you shall hear how I have been received in my new home, as I am led to imagine the heights will be. It is to amuse myself that I dwell on such subjects as the lack of external comforts. They never occupy my thoughts, except at the moment when I miss them. I should laugh and dance for joy, if I found their absence was the total of my miseries, and the rest was an unnatural dream. The sun set behind the grange as we turned on to the moors. By that I judged it to be six o'clock, and my companion halted half an hour to inspect the park, and the gardens, and probably the place itself as well as he could. So it was dark when we dismounted in the paved yard of the farmhouse, and your old fellow servant Joseph issued out to receive us by the light of a dip-candle. He did it with a courtesy that redounded to his credit. His first act was to elevate his torch to a level with my face, squint malignantly, project his under lip, and turn away. Then he took the two horses and led them into the stables, reappearing for the purpose of locking the outer gate as if we lived in an ancient castle. Heathcliff stayed to speak to him, and I entered the kitchen, a dingy, untidy-hole. I dare say you would not know it. It is so changed since it was in your charge. By the fire stood a ruffianly child, strong in limb and dirty in garb, with a look of Catherine in his eyes and about his mouth. This is Edgar's legal nephew, I reflected. Mine, in a manner, I must shake hands, and, yes, I must kiss him. It is right to establish a good understanding at the beginning. "'I approached, and, attempting to take his chubby fist, said, "'How do you do, my dear?' "'He replied in a jargon I did not comprehend. "'Shall you and I be friends, Hareton "'Was my next to say at conversation. "'An oath, and a threat to set Throttler on me "'if I did not frame off rewarded my perseverance.' "'Hey, Throttler, lad,' whispered the little wretch, "'rousing a half-bred bulldog from its lair in a corner. "'Now, will to be ganging he asked authoritatively. "'Love for my life urged a compliance. "'I stepped over the threshold to wait till the others should enter.' Mr. Heathcliff was nowhere visible, and Joseph, whom I followed to the stables and requested to accompany me in, after staring and muttering to himself, screwed up his nose and replied, Mm-mm-mm, did ever Christian body hear out like it. Minchin and munchin. how can I tell what you say? I say, I wish you to come with me into the house, I cried, thinking him deaf, yet highly disgusted at his rudeness. "Nor not me. I've in something else to do he answered and continued his work, moving his lantern jaws meanwhile and surveying my dress and countenance, the former a great deal too fine, but the latter, I am sure, as sad as he could desire, with sovereign contempt. I walked round the yard and through a wicket to another door, at which I took the liberty of knocking, in hopes some more civil servant might show himself. After a short suspense, it was opened by a tall, gaunt man, without neckerchief, and otherwise extremely slovenly. His features were lost in masses of shaggy hair that hung on his shoulders, "'and his eyes, too, were like a ghostly Catherine's, "'with all their beauty annihilated. "'What's your business here?' he demanded grimly. "'Who are you?' "'My name was Isabella Linton,' I replied. "'You've seen me before, sir. "'I'm lately married to Mr. Heathcliff, "'and he has brought me here, I suppose by your permission.' "'Is he come back, then?' asked the hermit, "'glaring like a hungry wolf. "'Yes, we came just now,' I said. "'But he left me by the kitchen door, "'and when I would have gone in, "'your little boy played sentinel over the place "'and frightened me off by the help of a bulldog.' "'It's well the hellish villain has kept his word.' growled my future host, searching the darkness beyond me in expectation of discovering Heathcliff, and then he indulged in a soliloquy of execrations, and threats of what he would have done had the fiend deceived him. I repented having tried the second entrance, and was almost inclined to slip away before he finished cursing, but ere I could execute that intention, he ordered me in, and shut and refastened the door. There was a great fire, and that was all the light in the huge apartment, whose floor had grown a uniform gray, and the once brilliant pewter dishes, which used to attract my gaze when I was a girl, partook of a similar obscurity created by tarnish and dust. I inquired whether I might call the maid and be conducted to a bedroom. Mr. Earnshaw vouchsafed no answer. He walked up and down with his hands in his pockets, apparently quite forgetting my presence, and his abstraction was evidently so deep, and his whole aspect so misanthropical, that I shrank from disturbing him again. You'll not be surprised, Ellen, at my feeling particularly cheerless, seated in worse than solitude, on that inhospitable hearth, and remembering that four miles distant lay my delightful home, containing the only people I loved on earth, and there might as well be the Atlantic to part us instead of those four miles. I could not overpass them. I questioned with myself, where must I turn for comfort? And, mind you don't tell Edgar or Catherine, above every sorrow beside, this rose preeminent, despair at finding nobody who could or would be my ally against Heathcliff. I had sought shelter at Wuthering Heights, almost gladly, because I was secured by that arrangement from living alone with him. But he knew the people we were coming amongst, and he did not fear their intermeddling. I sat and thought a doleful time, the clock struck eight and nine, and still my companion paced to and fro, his head bent on his breast and perfectly silent, unless a groan or a bitter ejaculation forced itself out at intervals. I listened to detect a woman's voice in the house, and filled the interim with wild regrets and dismal anticipations, which, at last, spoke audibly an irrepressible sighing and weeping. I was not aware how openly I grieved, till Earnshaw halted opposite in his measured walk, and gave me a stare of newly awakened surprise. Taking advantage of his recovered attention, I exclaimed, "'I'm tired with my journey, and I want to go to bed. "'Where is the maid-servant? "'Direct me to her, as she won't come to me.' "'We have none,' he answered. "'You must wait on yourself.' "'Where must I sleep, then?' I sobbed. "'I was beyond regard self-respect, "'weighed down by fatigue and wretchedness. "'Joseph will show you Heathcliff's chamber,' said he. "'Open that door. He's in there.' "'I was going to obey, but he suddenly arrested me, "'and added in the strangest tone, "'Be so good as to turn your lock and draw your bolt. "'Don't omit it.' "'Well,' I said, "'but why, Mr. Earnshaw?' I did not relish the notion of deliberately fastening myself in with Heathcliff. Look here, he replied, pulling from his waistcoat a curiously constructed pistol, having a double-edged spring knife attached to the barrel. That's a great temper to a desperate man, is it not? I cannot resist going up with this every night and trying his door. If once I find it open, he's done for. I do it invariably, even though the minute before I have been recalling a hundred reasons that should make me refrain. It is some devil that urges me to thwart my own schemes by killing him. You fight against that devil, for love, as long as you may. When the time comes, not all the angels in heaven shall save him. I surveyed the weapon inquisitively. A hideous notion struck me. How powerful I should be, possessing such an instrument. I took it from his hand, and touched the blade. He looked astonished at the expression my face assumed during a brief second. It was not horror, it was covetousness. He snatched the pistol back, jealously. Shut the knife, and returned it to its concealment. I don't care if you tell him, said he. Put him on his guard, and watch for him. You know the terms we are on, I see. His danger does not shock you. "'What has Heathcliff done to you?' I asked. "'And what has he wronged you, to warrant this appalling hatred? "'Wouldn't it be wiser to bid him quit the house?' "'No,' thundered Earnshaw. "'Should he offer to leave me, he's a dead man. "'Persuade him to attempt it, and you are a murderess. "'Am I to lose all, without a chance of retrieval? "'Is Hareton to be a beggar? "'Oh, damnation! "'I will have it back, and I'll have his gold, too, "'and then his blood, and hell shall have his soul. "'It will be ten times blacker with that guest "'than ever it was before. "'You've acquainted me, Ellen, with your old master's habits.' "'He is clearly on the verge of madness. "'He was so last night, at least. "'I shuddered to be near him, "'and thought on the servant's ill-bred moroseness "'as comparatively agreeable. "'He now recommenced his moody walk, "'and I raised the latch and escaped into the kitchen. "'Joseph was bending over the fire, "'peering into a large pan that swung above it, "'and a wooden bowl of oatmeal stood on the settle close by. "'The contents of the pan began to boil, "'and he turned to plunge his hand into the bowl. "'I conjectured that this preparation "'was probably for our supper, "'and being hungry, I resolved it should be eatable. "'So, crying out sharply, "'I'll make the porridge!' I removed the vessel out of his reach and proceeded to take off my hat and riding habit. Mister Earnshaw, I continued, directs me to wait on myself. I will. I'm not going to act the lady among you for fear I should starve. Good Lord! He muttered, sitting down and stroking his red stockings from the knee to the ankle. If they is to be fresh otherings, just when I've gotten used to two masters, if I'm to have a mistress set over my head, it's like time to be flitting. I never did think to say to day at a um, mudlove of thal place but i doubt it's nigh at heed. This lamentation drew no notice from me. I went briskly to work, sighing to remember a period when it would have been all merry fun, but compelled speedily to drive off the remembrance. It racked me to recall past happiness, and the greater peril there was of conjuring up its apparition. The quicker the thibble ran round and the faster the handfuls of meal fell into the water, Joseph beheld my style of cookery with growing indignation. There, he ejaculated, "Harrison, thou wilt sup thy porridge to neat. They'll be not bud lumps as big as my eve." "'There again. I'd fling and bowl on y'all. If I were you. There. pale the gilb off, and then you'll have done with it. Bang, bang. It's a mercy to bother them, isn't thee of doubt.' It was rather a rough mess I own when poured into the basins. Four had been provided, and a gallon pitcher of new milk was brought from the dairy, which Hareton seized and commenced drinking and spilling from the expansive lip. I expostulated and desired that he should have his in a mug, affirming that I could not taste the liquid treated so dirtily. The old cynic chose to be vastly offended at this nicety, assuring me repeatedly that the barn was every bit as good as I, and every bit as wholesome, and wondering how I could fashion to be so conceited. Meanwhile, the infant ruffian continued sucking and glowering up at me defiantly as he slavered into the jug. I shall have my supper in another room, I said. Have you no place you call a parlor? Parlor, he echoed sneeringly. Parlor? Nay, we've no parlors. If you don't like company, they's masters, and if you do not like masters, there's us then i shall go upstairs i answered show me a chamber i put my basin on a tray and went myself to fetch some more milk with great grumblings the fellow rose and preceded me in my ascent we mounted to the garrets he opened a door now and then to look into the apartments we passed here's a rum he said at last flinging back a cranky board on hinges it's weel enough to ate a few porridge in there's a pack a corner corner they are immediately clean "'If you fear to muck in your grand silk clothes, spread your handkerchief atop on it.' The rum was a kind of lumber hole smelling strong of molten grain, various sacks of which articles were piled round, leaving a wide, bare space in the middle. "'Why, man!' I exclaimed, facing him angrily. "'This is not a place to sleep in. I wish to see my bedroom.' "'Bedroom!' he repeated in a tone of mockery. "'Yah seat all to bedrooms there is. Yon's mine.' He pointed into the second garret, only differing from the first and being more naked about the wall, and having a large, low, curtainless bed with an indigo-coloured quilt at one end. "'What do I want with yours?' I retorted. "'I suppose Mr. Heathcliff does not lodge at the top of the house, does he?' "'Oh, it's Master Heathcliff's you wantin," cried he, as if making a new discovery. "'Couldn't you have said so at once?' "'And then, a I tell you about all this work, uh, that's just the one you cannot see.' He ask keeps it locked, and nobody smells on un- but ism. You've a nice house, Joseph, I could not refrain from observing, and pleasant inmates, and I think the concentrated essence of all the madness in the world took up its abode in my brain the day I linked my fate with theirs. However, that is not to the present purpose. There are other rooms. For heaven's sake, be quick, and let me settle somewhere. He made no reply to this adjuration, only plodding doggedly down the wooden steps and halting before an apartment which, from that halt and the superior quality of its furniture, I conjectured to be the best one. There was a carpet a good one but the pattern was obliterated by dust a fireplace hung with cut paper dropping to pieces a handsome oak bedstead with ample crimson curtains of rather expensive material in modern make but they had evidently experienced rough usage the valances hung in festoons wrenched from their rings and the iron rod supporting them was bent in an arc on one side causing the drapery to trail upon the floor the chairs were also damaged many of them severely and deep indentations deformed the panels of the walls i was endeavoring to gather resolution for entering and taking possession when my fool of a guide announced, this here is to masters. My supper by this time was cold, my appetite gone, and my patience exhausted. I insisted on being provided instantly with a place of refuge and a means of repose. We're the devil, began the religious elder. The Lord bless us, the Lord forgive us. Where the hell would you gang? You married, where is some not? You see an all but Harrington's bit of a chamber. There's not another hole to lie down in the house." I was so vexed, I flung my tray and its contents on the ground, and then seated myself at the stairs' head, hid my face in my hands, and cried. Ech, ech, exclaimed Joseph. Done, Kathy. Weel done, Miss Cathy. weel done, Miss Cathy. Has of its master's sold just tummely out them broken pots, and then wears hair summit, his hair hats to be. Good for not modeling, you deserve pining for this to Christmas, flinging the precious gifts of God underfoot at your, your fleas rages. But I'm mistaken if you're sure you spur lang, Will Heathcliff bide such mony ways? Think ye? I but wish he might catch ye this plisky. I but wish he may. And so he went scolding to his den beneath, taking the candle with him, and I remained in the dark. The period of reflection succeeding in this silly action compelled me to admit the necessity of smothering my pride and choking my wrath, and bestirring myself to remove its effects. An unexpected aid presently appeared in the shape of Throttler, whom I now recognized as a son of our old skulker. It had spent its well put at the grange and was given by my father to Mister Hinley. "'I fancy it knew me. "'It pushed its nose against mine by way of salute "'and then hastened to devour the porridge "'while I groped from step to step, "'collecting the shattered earthenware "'and drying the spatters of milk from the banister "'with my pocket handkerchief. "'Our labours were scarcely over "'when I heard Earnshaw's tread in the passage. "'My assistant tucked in his tail and pressed to the wall. "'I stole into the nearest doorway. "'The dog's endeavour to avoid him was unsuccessful, "'as I guessed by a scutter downstairs "'and a prolonged, piteous yelping. "'I had better luck. "'He passed on, entered his chamber, and shut the door.' directly after joseph came up with hareton to put him to bed i had found shelter in hareton's room and the old man on seeing me said there's rum for bold ye on your pride na i said think as the house is empty you ma have it all to yourself on him and the last makes a third is such ill company gladly did i take advantage of this intimation and the minute i flung myself into a chair by the fire i nodded and slept my slumber was deep and sweet though over far too soon mr heathcliff awoke me He had just come in and demanded, in his loving manner, what I was doing there. I told him the cause of my staying up so late, that he had the key of our room in his pocket. The adjective our gave mortal offense. He swore it was not, nor ever should be mine, and he'd— But I'll not repeat his language, nor describe his habitual conduct. He is ingenious and unrested in seeking to gain my abhorrence. I sometimes wonder at him with an intensity that deadens my fear. Yet, I assure you, a tiger or a venomous serpent could not rouse terror in me equal to that which he wakens. He told me of Catherine's illness and accused my brother of causing it, promising that I should be Edgar's proxy in suffering till he could get hold of him. I do hate him. I am wretched. I have been a fool. Beware of uttering one breath of this to anyone at the Grange. I shall expect you every day. Don't disappoint me. Isabella. Okay, so, um, these chapters were a lot. (laughs) Um, before we get into discussion, I just wanted to give you all a reminder of how I am able to make this podcast a reality. Okay, um, wow, <laughs> these chapters were kind of a lot, um, I know the last two chapters were kind of perhaps one teen. um, they weren't really that exciting, they were more just like backstory to help with understanding, comprehension, that sort of stuff. Um, these, on the other hand, these chapters were kind of, like, intense and crazy, um, We don't, we still don't really have any answers about what happens to Catherine, um, but we do find out that a lot happens to Isabella. So uh, we learned in the last ones that Isabella was, like, super into Heathcliff, um, and Heathcliff was like, I do not have any interest in her until he started plotting and planning, and now we see kind of how that plotting and planning went. Um, He basically, like, kidnapped her um, and took her to Wuthering Heights, and is, like, keeping her hostage, um, is being super cruel to her, basically treating her like a stand-in for her brother until he's able to, like, get even with her brother. Um, she is kind of, like, tortured there, um, even though the physical torture is perhaps not apparent yet, um, it definitely seems that the emotional and mental, like, manipulation and abuse is already going like strong and it hasn't been that long since they were married um so i do feel like pretty bad for isabella that she was kind of like convinced uh into thinking that he was a good person uh still the person that she thought he was still the person she wanted to marry because now everything has fallen apart aggressively and she's only able to rely on mrs dean uh, and hope that Mrs. Dean is willing to help her still, so I'm curious to see in the next couple chapters if that is going to be something that happens, um, if Nelly does go to Wuthering Heights to like see her and see how things are going, um, but we definitely have some foreshadowing that things do not work out in Isabella's favor at all. Um, we see that Harriton has turned into quite a little monster, uh, he's like The definition of, like, a terrible kid, Um, definitely a product of his environment, you know, raised by Mr. Earnshaw, definitely not the greatest uh, person, the curate doesn't have a hand in any of it, Heathcliff is only making things worse for the poor kid, so... In that regard, I'm not at all surprised that he turned out the way he did. I'm kind of just surprised that he's still alive, um, considering how Mr. Earnshaw behaved when he was young and the fact that it's only gotten worse and, like, more aggressive as he's gotten older. So, if nothing else, Harriton becoming a monster of a child, uh, has probably just been the best, like, coping mechanism he could come up with, um, because if he keeps himself kind of on par... As much as he can with Mr. Earnshaw. He kind of avoids, uh, the aggression that might otherwise be- be targeted to him. So, in that regard, I do completely see how he's gotten to this point, and I do feel really awful for him. We also see Catherine uh, kind of the beginning of the descent into madness, and I guess presumably how she ends up dying. Um, has something to do with that. I'm gonna be honest. When she threw open the window and was talking about where she was gonna be buried, I definitely thought she was gonna throw herself to her death. I really thought that that was gonna be coming. Um. So the fact that it hasn't yet, I think, just kind of puts me more on edge. And everything she does, I'm I'm more worried that this is gonna be the thing. This is gonna be the time. Uh. So like, props to you, Emily Bronte, for keeping me on the edge of my seat over this woman that I don't even really like. Like, I don't think Catherine is a good person. She's extremely manipulative. Um, Not that I would expect anything else from somebody who was raised in the environment she was. I do feel really bad that, like, she has become this person, but that doesn't change the fact that she's still not likable. She's still not, like, a good person. So the fact that she's kind of making her condition worse definitely doesn't help my sympathy for her. But... I don't look forward to her dying. I'm not looking forward to that. It will make me feel really sad that, you know, this is what it all came down to, um, her not being able to get any help for all of the, like, horrible stuff that she went through as a kid. Um, but I'm glad she's not dead yet. <laughs> and we see, kind of, uh, Mr. Linton Trying to show that he's this, like, tough guy, um, and then kind of running right after he throws the first punch, not even letting Heathcliff, like, get a jab at him. Um, so he's definitely, like, a, a weak man. And then when Catherine is sick, uh, he kind of blames Nellie for it. Like, why didn't you tell me? And Nellie's like, I just told you. None of us really knew it was this bad. Like, we're just now knowing, and now you know at, like, the same time. So I think... He's kind of a funky character. There's not a whole lot there for me to like. Um, There's not a whole lot there for me to try to pull some positives out of. I'm glad that he was taking care of her so much and kind of doting on her um, because she was so sick that that's kind of what she needs, Um, but it has kind of blinded him to the reality of the situation. Uh, And I think that that might play a role in Catherine's downfall, is him not being aware or not understanding the, like, severity of of the situation. So I'm curious to see if he has a hand in her dying, um, what Nellie ends up doing about the Catherine situation and the Isabella situation, um, what ends up happening to Mr. Linton uh, when... Catherine passes if he's still like playing a role in everything. There's there's so many more questions now that we have this this new information and I'm I'm insanely curious to see what is going to happen in the next set of chapters and see kind of where we go with these characters because we were just kind of thrown into chaos. We were in a little bit of dullness in chapters 9 and 10. And now we've been thrown in the deep end of the absolute insanity that is going on with these characters. So I'm curious to see if we get pulled out in the next couple of chapters or if we're left to kind of doggy paddle to the shore. Thanks for listening. This has been chapters 11 through 13 of Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Tune in on Thursday for chapters 14 through 17.